Good morning. How are you guys doing? All right, good to see you all. Uh, you heard Daniel's announcement uh, just for the Christian clubs and just want to encourage you guys, uh, really dive into that, okay? Uh, now, you might say, well, I'm, I'm homeschooled. I don't have a Christian club. Well, then your job is to find someone who is in public school, okay, and in this room, and you need to encourage them and pray for them. Uh, or if you have local schools in your area, then you need to pray for them. Pray that God would, would reach them with the gospel, which happens through when Christians decide to open their mouths, all right? Uh, but for today is exciting because we get to be back in our letter, the, our book of the Bible that we've been going through, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, today we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. As you can see on the screen, hopefully you guys have your Bibles and are taking notes. You can turn there now and write down the title of today's message, Identifying the Time. So, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed, but this last week, uh, the weather began to change just a little bit. Did, you get, did any of you guys notice? Right, maybe you get up in the mornings, it was like cool, more, like, oh, I was so excited. There was one morning, woke up, and I was like, I could wear a sweatshirt today. And it was just exciting. Now it gets hot throughout the day. But right, uh, I don't know about you guys, I can't wait for the weather to change, for it to get cool, for those, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas vibes to begin to, to roll out. Pumpkin spice lattes are back at Starbucks, right? But listen, isn't it true, isn't it true that you can begin to notice the changing of seasons, right? Temperatures begin to drop it starts to get darker sooner. Uh, you are also able to tell because if you go into any store, you can tell that the season is changing by the type of decorations they put in the store, right? Every year they're getting earlier and earlier and it's like July and there's already Halloween stuff and it's just crazy. And, and, but what does that tell you? Things are getting closer. And listen, if there's Halloween supplies, then doesn't that tell you that also Christmas is getting closer, right? There's different implications with those different indicators, right? There's these different indicators and identifiers that point to the changing of seasons. Well, why do I bring this up? Well, this is actually an illustration that Jesus used when talking to some of the religious leaders. You can just put in your note-taking. This is as a way of introduction to our topic in our text today. But Matthew chapter 16, this idea of changing of seasons is something that Jesus talked with the Pharisees and the Sadducees about. Here in verse 1 in chapter 16, you can look on the screen. It says this, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. He, he calls them, he says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. What is Jesus talking about here? He says, look, you can go outside and see that there are dark clouds looming above, and that probably means it's going to rain today. But he calls them hypocrites because he says you can look at the simplicity of the sky and see what's coming, but you see what he is referencing is actually his first coming. Did you know that when Jesus came as that baby in Bethlehem, that the Jewish nation should have known that he was coming. God had put indicators. God had put these identifiers in scripture beforehand in the Old Testament so that they would read it and actually make a preparation and expect Jesus from coming. But the problem was that they missed it. They didn't look to God's word and they missed the indicators. Well, in a similar fashion, God is coming a second time. And similar to how God put indicators the first time when he was coming, God has again put these indicators, these identifiers in scripture, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, for you and I to know when he is coming. And he told his disciples of these things. Jesus talked to them. He said, hey, I, I've come this time, but I'm going to come again. And here are some of the things of how you would know. And so this is the topic that we're going to look at today. 
Now, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in 2 Timothy together, and if you can remember, recall a few weeks ago, we closed out the second chapter, which means that you and I, uh, today, we are now entering the second half of this book. And just a refresher, I want to remind you what 2 Timothy is all about. Right? This is a letter written by Paul at the end of his life while on death row. He's writing to Timothy, whom Paul had raised up as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And this letter is not of regret. Right? Paul is on death row because of his actions preaching in Jesus' name. And this is not a letter to Timothy to say, Timothy, stop now. This is, I ended up in not so good a position. Stop preaching Jesus. It's not a letter of regret and woe, but rather it is a intense letter of encouragement. And the title of this series that we've been going through uh, fits it well, and it is Keep On. This was Paul's message to Timothy. Don't quit. Keep on going. Keep on keeping on. And within these first two chapters, uh, we've seen Paul display this great desire for Timothy uh, to be used by God. And so as we go into now the second half, we're going to see similar things. Now, as you know, if you guys attend Sundays, uh, for the last two weeks uh, have been a little bit different, right? Two weeks ago, we had that, those lockdown drill uh, and, and we talked about the rapture. Do you guys remember that? And then last week, we watched Dr. Ed Heinzen talk to us again about the rapture all the way to eternity, the new Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. Well, I think God has set it up in this way. This was not intentionally planned, but that's going to fit very well into what we're looking at today. Because I think if you've been attending the last couple Sundays, you should have a good understanding of what happens next. That we are looking to the rapture, we are uh, going to be looking to uh, you know, eternity with Jesus. But what we're going to look at today is what leads up to that. Right? Jesus said, you will know the times and the seasons. You're not going to know the day or the hour of my coming, but that you're going to be able to look at certain indicators certain identifiers in the world through the lens of scripture and say, it seems like he's coming back soon. And we're going to see these uh, come to pass. Jesus gave another example in Luke 21. You can just note it down. Like the weather example, he also talked about a fruit tree. Anyone got fruit trees at home? I remember growing up, uh, we had like a, a plum and a plum tree and an uh, apricot tree. And, and sometimes some seasons they would do really well. But it's not that like you could go year round and pick the fruit, right? There are certain seasons I remember that you could go out and they're like, oh, wow, there's, there's plums on the tree. This is sweet. I remember we had this random bush that would just, we didn't plant it, but it would pop up with these wild strawberries. You know, they, were, they were like the greatest strawberries in the world. I don't know why. Um, but I remember there were certain seasons that we'd be able to go in the backyard and see, okay, yeah, it, it's this, it must be spring because there are strawberries on that random bush, right? Well, in a similar way, look what Jesus says, Luke 21 on the screen. He says, then he spoke a parable to them and he said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Notice that last line. These things, these are things that Jesus talked about. These are things that Paul talked about, that as we look at our world through the lens of scripture, that this should assure our hearts that, oh man, any minute, any day now, Jesus is coming back. And so just like Jesus didn't want the disciples caught off guard, Paul doesn't want Timothy to be caught off guard, to be able to identify the times. And this is what God, God wants you to be prepared Remember, the Jews, they missed his first coming. There were some that, that came to faith, but for the most part, the entire nation to whom Jesus was born a baby to live as a man and to die a death, they rejected him. And they were not prepared for his coming. And so the, the heart and the goal today is that you and I would be prepared for his coming. Sound good? Let's read our text, 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 9, all right? 
We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 1 down to verse 9. It says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we look to your word today. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us clueless. We're not blind in this world trying to feel things out, that you have prepared us, God. You have given us your scripture beforehand. You told the disciples, I tell you these things in advance so that when they come to pass, you may believe. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith. God, would we have clarity in this area? As we talk about the end times, would this not be scary? The last days, would this not be uh, frightening? But would it prepare us? Would it cause us to live holy and godly lives that we wouldn't waste one day? Lord, we know that the enemy would want nothing other than for us to waste our lives. But you have purpose for us. And so, Lord, help us to walk in the good works in which you have set out before us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So he opens up this chapter, and very clearly he says, know this. He says, Timothy, I want you to understand this and realize this. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to mark this down. He says, Timothy, take note of this, that this is going to be something very important for you to recognize and understand. You see, Paul was all about preparing young Timothy as much as possible because Paul realized that he was on death row. Uh, He was literally, and history tells us, about to be decapitated, martyred for his faith. He knew that he was no longer going to be in this world. Now, he's going to be in heaven. The Bible says that even though a man may die, believing in me, yet he shall live. So he he, he just graduated into heaven. However, he knew he wasn't going to be able to be a source to encourage Timothy. And so he wanted to prepare him. And he did this by talking to him about the last days. Notice in verse one in our Bibles today, it says, he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So the last days, scripture references this quite a bit. And at times it can be confusing because at times you're like, wait, they talked about it as if the last days were when Paul was living, but then we're 2,000 years removed from Paul living, and it's still the last days? Like, what's going on here? What is the timeline? Well, the last days is a reference to the whole of the church age. So the church began with Jesus, and it has continued until the point that we are now in. It started from the time of Jesus's ascension and has now progressed to now and will go on until the rapture of the church. Those are technically the last days. And you're like, that's a lot of days. It is a lot of days. It is evident though, as you read the writings of Paul, that he really believed that he was in the last days. He believed that he would be even a part of the rapture. He was only 2000 years off. But listen, I think God has it designed in this way. I believe God has designed that all history is culminating. It's going somewhere. And even for Paul, he believed in this 
imminence, meaning this immediacy of Jesus coming back, that it could happen at any moment. You see, because if we knew, well, Jesus isn't coming back for 100 years, we're good, then how would you live? It would be different, potentially. But you see, we need the realization that, that our life here is temporary, that we could be going home any day. Romans 13, 11 tells us this. You can note it down in your note-taking. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Meaning, from the first day that you got saved, however old you might have been, until this point now, it is nearer. We're nearer to that culmination of your salvation, which will, for you and I as believers, will ultimately be the rapture, which then will put into effect the different end times events that we've talked about over the last couple weeks. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, this was something that his disciples were interested in. Because Jesus said certain things like, hey, I'm leaving. Um, I'm going away to my father. And before Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, his disciples asked him. I imagine if you had uh, you know, face-to-face with Jesus. What kind of things would you ask him? Uh, think about all the things in Scripture that are recorded that the disciples had asked him that we don't even know about. But one of the things that is recorded, it says this, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, meaning it wasn't a big group of people. It was just the 12 disciples. And they said, they said, Jesus, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of it, the age? We know that there's an end, but how are we going to know when that's coming? What, what should we look for? What will be those markers? And Jesus would go on. I'd encourage you to go read. If you're interested in this topic of things, go read Matthew chapter 24. Jesus lays it out. He begins to, to describe to them these different indicators, these different identifiers that it's getting mighty close. And some of the things that he said, you might have heard before. He said that deceivers will increase, meaning that there'll be more people that will go around trying to deceive people. Sound familiar? He said that there will be wars and rumors of wars, but that they will increase, that there will be a massive increase of that, that nations will rise against nations. The term there is ethnic groups will rise against ethnic groups. Sound familiar? He says kingdoms will rise against kingdoms, that there will be this massive worldwide disturbance on a worldwide scale. There will be famines, no food. There will be pestilences, diseases. There will be earthquakes. And right now, we, if you look around the world, these things are happening. And among many other things, Jesus talked to them about. But it was clear that Jesus was saying, not that these things didn't exist. These things existed 2,000 years ago. There were wars. There were earthquakes. It's not like this new thing that we're dealing with. There was, there was conflict of ethnic groups against ethnic groups thousands of years ago. But you see, what Jesus is pointing to is that there is going to be an increasing and an intensifying amount where it starts to become noticeable, right? And... In Luke's account of the gospel, Jesus would end this conversation telling them, you need, when these things start to happen, look up. Not that you're supposed to like live your life just looking up, but that you live in a, in a way that you're aware of eternity. See, Paul was in the beginning of the last days. You and I, it's clear as we look at our world with just those things I listed, that we are in the end of the last days which is exciting. Now, when talking about the last days here, Paul doesn't refer. What we just read a moment ago in 2 Timothy, notice Paul didn't talk about earthquakes. He didn't talk about wars. He didn't talk about um, pestilences. He didn't talk about those things. What he talked about was actually the heart and attitude of individuals. And he describes it that these last days, that they're gonna be perilous times. That's what we haven't even left verse one yet. Okay, verse one, that he says, know this and the last days that the times are gonna be perilous. What does that mean? It means this, it means troublesome, 
hard to deal with, a great time of immense stress. It's going to be fierce and dangerous and violent. Not that the world wasn't that before, but that there's going to be this intensifying worldwide reality of stressful, troublesome times. The word used here in classical Greek is actually describing that of a dangerous wild animal or the raging of a wild sea. Uh, and, and the only other place in the New Testament that this word perilous occurs is a story in Matthew chapter 8 where the, there are these two demon-possessed men who are savage and untamed, who literally they'll chain these, these men and they just break out of the, tra- the chains. They're so demon-possessed. And it, and it describes them there in Matthew 8 as so fierce that no one could pass that way. That's this word, that the times are gonna be so intense, troublesome, and stressful. But why? What is gonna make these times so perilous, so stressful, so troublesome? What he goes on to list isn't the worldwide wars. It's actually the heart and attitude of individuals. It is the sin of men and women that are detailed. Did you notice when we read, there's this like list, this long list of things. It is within that list that we begin to get a picture of the overall attitude of men and women in our world. Now, you could take this, look, at, look in your Bibles, okay? Look a little bit past verse one and you'll see the beginning of the list. And it's just literally, it says a word and then comma and then word and then comma. There's a list of 19 things that we're going to be looking at today, uh, not in detail, don't worry. But you could take this list and you could go to any time period in the world and uh, uh, post the fall, right? Post Eden. And you could, you could say that this describes it. Yet what we're seeing here is that there's going to be an increase like never before, that it's going to get worse all over the world at a specific time. And we're going to see by the end of this study that there is no doubt that we are in the end of the last days, which would be the beginning of the end times. Now, there's a commentator named H.A. Ironside. Don't all the cool like guys in the past have these like cool names? H.A. Ironside. I don't know. Anyway, C.H. Spurgeon. I want like, I just want, I want initials like that. But he talks about this passage And he notes something interesting. He says, what's being talked about here is not just the descriptions, what we're about to read, uh, what we're going to get into, is not just a description of those in the world who don't believe God, believe in God. What, What makes this sobering, what makes this a reality, is that what's being talked about here is a description of those in the church, a description of those who would say, I am godly, I follow God, yet in their works, in their life, they deny it. 2 Timothy 3.13, it's a few verses, it's, it's past our text, what we'll look at a little bit more next week, but notice, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Remember, it's not that these things didn't exist before, but there's going to be an acknowledgeable, a recognizable increase. Does that make sense? You guys tracking? Any questions so far? All right, now we're going to get into those 19 identifiers, okay? There are 19. I know that sounds like a lot, but the list is, is, is short. It's not like a, a whole sentence for each one. There's 19 different things mentioned. And, um, and we're going to just look through them and kind of roll through them uh, rather quickly. Some of them we'll spend a little bit more time on, but I want you in your Bible to kind of go through with us as we go through these 19 identifiers. I'd encourage you not to write down every one. They're already written down in your Bible. Uh, you'll become confused and lost, but just kind of listen and note down some things that kind of spark something. If there's something that stands out, Uh, as we're going through them, then write it down. There's a few verses I'll share with you, but I want to kind of give you the explanation of each of these things. Now, we're going to walk through them, and I want you to just take note of a couple things, okay? Right in the beginning, it says in verse one or verse two now, for men will be. When it talks about men, it's talking about mankind. Women 
are included as well. Okay, it's talking about humans, okay, mankind. It's not just talking about what men will be like in the last days. And I also want you to know that the things, these identifiers that we're looking at, they are not a momentary sin. Where if we go through them and you're like, oh, I was, I, I was proud once. Don't, don't, I mean, it's, it's talking about an overall attitude. It's talking about the, how you would describe someone's life. Like if, for example, if I told you, hey, uh, describe to me what your best friend is like. You know, you might say things like loyal, funny, faithful, right? And you would say general overall. You wouldn't call someone funny because they made a joke one time. Right? You call someone funny because there's this overall, that's how I would describe their life. And what we're going to see today is overall descriptions of someone's life. Does that make sense? So each one that we're going to look at is going to give us a better picture of the overall attitude. They're going to color in the picture. So we're going to be able to see what are people like right before Jesus comes back. First thing okay, is, is this. Look in your Bibles. You're going to have to go through them with me. They're not going to be listed on the screen. And I did that intentionally because I want you to look at your Bibles, okay? Verse 2, for men will be, what does it say? All right, so this is what we're going to do. When we go through them, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, okay, what's the third one? What's the fourth one? I want to hear collectively uh, what it is, all right? So for men will be, number one, lovers of themselves. Man, lovers of themselves. A lover of self is that of excessive love. It is what you could call self-centeredness. Does this not describe our world? Think about it. Self-love is literally promoted. Like, it's not just that people engage in it. It's saying like, oh, you, you need to take time for some self-love. If, if you just learn to love yourself, then you can begin to love others. That is the opposite of what Jesus tells us and what the Bible tells us. Fill in the blank, right? Jesus or, or the, our, our world has this attitude of self first, then everyone else. And actually you need to find yourself and then you can begin to, and this is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Men and women will be lovers of themselves. And it is very fitting that, the, notice this is the first one. Because I believe out of all the other ones that we're going to look at, at all these other indicators, these identifiers of attitudes of the last days, this is the first one. This is the bookend. We're going to look at the other bookend once we get to the end. But lovers of themselves, self-centeredness, this excessive love of oneself. Does that make sense? What's number two? From lovers of money extremely desirous of acquiring personal wealth, okay? This isn't like in your mind, you're like, oh, I, I like money. It's, it's okay, okay? That's, uh, money is not evil in and of itself. Notice it says love, lovers of money, meaning that that is the pursuit and the goal. It, what, what a lover of money is, is described as someone who's greedy and covetous. But is this not what people live for in our world? This is the goal. This is the motivation to go to school, do well in school. This is the motivation to go to college, to get a good job so you can, get, so you can have money and, and have, and, and, and you see where the end of these things lead. If you walk through what the pursuit of money ends at, it ends someone dying and leaving everything they acquired behind. But yet our world promotes being a lover of money. Jesus told a story of a man who loved money he said that there was this guy who he spent his whole life acquiring wealth. And he finally got to this point where he's like, I think I have enough. And so he took all of it and all of his, whatever it was. And the Bible says that he put it in barns. And he's like, all right, finally, I can sit back, put up my feet and drink my sweet tea. And I'm going to just enjoy the rest of my life. It doesn't say sweet tea in the Bible. Okay, that's Joel translation. But Jesus describes that man. He says he was a fool. Because what he didn't know was it would be that very night that his soul would be required of him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 describes for us that money is not evil. Notice the words in yellow. It is the love of money that is the root to all kinds of evil. And 
in our world, this is no doubt true. And the scary part that in the, in the church worldwide and nationwide, uh, this is something that isn't lacking, unfortunately. So lovers of themselves, lovers of money. All right, give me number three. Number three. Boasters. Proud comes next. Uh, boasters. So a boaster. Think about what a boaster is. Have you ever heard that word? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the word boaster. Okay, so a boaster, right, is someone who is self-exalting. Whenever I think of boaster, I always just think of like someone who has their, their chest puffed out, right? Someone who's self-absorbed, bragging. A boaster is someone who is bragging about one's own accomplishments and superiority. Have you ever heard of a pretentious person? That's what this is, a pretentious person looking, not just saying, look at my accomplishments, I'm boasting of it, but so much so that it, it enables them to look down on others. What's an example of this? Two words, social media. Is this not what people do on social media, right? Um, th this attitude is actually almost expected, that you better be posting what, and bragging over what you have and showing up other people on the platform boasters. And so we have lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. Look at the fourth one is proud, uh, which definitely goes, those kind of two go together. Do they not? Proud, right? This is someone who is arrogant. Listen to this definition. It's to show feelings of unwarranted importance. Think about famous people. Have you ever thought about how there's famous people who are famous for being famous? Yeah. Let, me, let me say it again. There are famous people who are famous for being famous, meaning that they did nothing. They have no accomplishments, yet they're famous. Kardashians, right? Classic example, among many others. And there is this fame to be fame, and, and, there, and what comes out of that is no doubt this, this pride, right? That it's like, and you're, and you're like, wait, why, why are you better than, than other people, though? And you're like, well, I just, just am. I'm just, think about athletes, right? You see this in the athletic world quite a lot. Think about the pride that you see in, in major league sports. Oftentimes you see humility, uh, but the majority is you see a lot of prideful uh, people. And you think about, wait, why are you prideful? You just got really good at a game, which is, I mean, cool. I mean, I like watching sports. Okay? I'm a baseball fan. But the pride that comes out of the silliest of things, this is one of the fourth, this is the fourth indicator. So lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. Uh, what's the fifth one? Abusive. Yeah, so, okay, we have some different translations here. Abusive, blasphemers, okay? The fifth one is blasphemers, and that one sounds pretty intense, right? To show irreverence towards something that is holy or true. Think about, uh, do you guys know Paul in the Bible? Yeah. Right, so before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And he described of himself that he was a former blasphemer, meaning that he what used to be against what God was for. And that's really what a blasphemer is, to be against what God is for. Like Paul was against the church. Well, there are people that are against what God is for. The sixth thing, sixth thing is, uh, I would believe, very applicable to all of you. Uh, disobedient to parents. Disobedience to parents. Now think about it. Listen, this is where it starts, though. If someone is disobedient to parents, then they're also going to be disobedient to any other authority in their life, right? And the issue in our world, why there is, you guys know what the word lawlessness is? Lawlessness starts in the home. And out of a disobedience, a non-compliant attitude towards mom and dad come disobedience and non-compliance in every other area. If you can't obey someone who has your greatest purpose in mind, someone that loves you and cares for you and wants the best for you, if you can't be obedient to that person, think about any other institution uh, in our world. And so it's a very base uh, line. Does that make sense? Look at the seventh thing in your Bible. Unthankful. And you're basically for the next uh, few ones, you'll see the, the, the term UN before it. So unthankful, unholy, unloving, right? Unforgiving, unthankful. I don't think we need too much um, explanation here, but think about it. Is our world not growing more and more unthankful? It's that there's that attitude of, well, I did it myself. 
So I'm, well, thank you self, right? And, and there's this attitude, this, this, not, this acknowledgement that God, I'm, God didn't make me, I've, I've made myself. And there's this unthankfulness. Now you'll see a lot of themes, right? Remember, all these identifiers are creating for us one big picture of the overall attitude in our world. Is that, is that making sense? Anyone super lost? Okay, let's keep going. Unthankful. The eighth thing is unholy. Just watch any show on Netflix and you will see examples of unholiness, impure and wickedness. Uh, number nine, unloving. Now this one's interesting. This isn't just like, oh, like people just aren't, aren't you know, they're just unloving. No, this term unloving, it describes people that are heartless. Uh, another word for it would be inhuman, lacking affection and compassion towards others. Think about the great sin of abortion. Abortion is the most unloving thing that you could do. It's, it, but it, well, listen, we've got to a point where now we've flipped it, where actually people believe that the most unloving thing is the, well, it's, it's the choice. It's, it's the loving thing to do. And there's something perverted and twisted Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 says this, and because lawlessness will abound, right? People that are ultimately disobedience to parents and then every other law that there might be in the land, there's this great lawlessness. And he says, because of that, the love of many will grow cold. Do you, would you describe that as a characteristic of our current age? Yeah. The cold love, right? Unloving. The 10th thing is unforgiving, now, this is interesting, unforgiving. This is someone who, this would describe someone who is just, who gets to a point where they say, I, I, can, I will no longer forgive this person. Do you guys know what a grudge is? Right? A grudge is something very against what the Bible teaches. Uh, a grudge is to say, I, I, will, I will not forgive. I will not, I, I will not show, I have, I have no willingness to make peace. But think about it. In the world's perspective, and even those who don't have a proper understanding of Scripture and God's forgiveness, why forgive? Right? There's the whole sense where there's even a, a world encouragement of, ah, you, you know, don't get those, you need to get rid of toxic people in your life. Right? And, and there's the balance. Right? God doesn't say that you have to be a doormat and let people walk over you. There's boundaries that can be set. But from a, a perspective without God, why would you need to forgive? Get those right, negative vibes out of your life, whatever. I, I've cut them off, canceled, right? Um, the 11th thing, look in your Bibles, slanderers. Um, I want you to take note of this one. This one's important, a slander. This is actually in Greek, if you were to translate it, is the word diablos. Everyone say diablos. diablos. Do you, know, you guys know what that is? It is, it is not the name of our enemy. It is the description. Did you know devil is not the devil's name? It is actually his title and description. His name is, right, Lucifer, but his title and description is this idea of a slander. Another word is adversary. It is someone who comes against another in false reality, or even, even sometimes in truth, and seeks to slander their reputation with malicious intent. Think about what Satan did with Job, right? He went to heaven. Now God is the one who brought him up. Uh, but you, you see this reality that the Bible describes that he is the adversary of you and I, and that he is someone who seeks to slander. And no doubt we see this attitude in the world. Number 12, we, we're running out of time, so we've got to go through them quickly. Number 12, without self-control. Just think about that one for a moment. Without self-control, unrestrained and indulgent. Is this not true in the, in the realm of sexual immorality in our current, current world? There's no more borders, no more lines. Whatever you want, whenever you want it, you do what feels natural. You do what feels good without restraint. We have no more borders. Uh, 13 and 14 and 15, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, I want you to take note of the despisers of good. Uh, there's a verse in Isaiah, you can note it down. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20 says this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Is this not true what's happening? Think about it. Think about the, you guys listening? Think about the, the overall attitude in our world, and, and unfortunately, potentially in some churches, hopefully not this one, is that what God says, God says, this is good. And then evil says, no, no, that, that is bad. This is bad. No, that is good. And there's this, there's this twisting, right? There's this opposite effect where it's no longer like, oh, that's like, that's like medium. It's like, no, that's actually what you say is good is, is what the world now says is evil. Uh, number 15, traitors. This is someone, a traitor is someone it, it, who betrays someone's trust. Okay, a traitor is someone who violates an allegiance to whom it is owed. Think about divorce. Is that not what divorce is? It's actually, it, it is to, to initiate divorce other than the one grounds that the Bible gives, which is sexual immorality, and to leave the relationships, people in our world and even in the church, are, they are betraying one another. They said certain vows, but they have now gone against it, um, and we see this all over. Uh, 16, 17, we see headstrong, right? This is defiant and reckless, haughty, uh, similar to the pride and boasting to be puffed up, to think higher of yourself. And then the last two is what I want you to take a very careful notice to. Hey, look back at your Bibles. You guys still have your Bibles open, right? All right, look at the last one in verse four. It's a little bit of a longer description. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you remember what we started with? We started with what someone loves. What was it? Self-love. Self-love. Self now we end, or are close to the end, we have one more, which is the 19th, which is really the capstone or the summary on who is doing this. Lovers of pleasure. This is to pursue personal pleasure rather than pursue God. And does this not just describe and how often might this even describe our own heart at times? That, that we do what feels good for us rather than what we know God has told us to do. You see, Jesus said pretty clearly, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. You want to know how you show love to God? Ultimately, it is in your obedience to him, which oftentimes should conflict at least at first, and then uh, God begins to change our desires with what, you, what would be certainly pleasurable for you. That those two things are at odds at times. And no doubt in the beginning, um, until you allow God to begin to come into your, love, uh, your life. The 19th, the last thing, what I want you to note down, the last identifier is that all these things fit into this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And this is very get, where it gets very real. So that the, the attitude that's being described here of what we just went through, there's actually a form of godliness. What's a form? It's an appearance. This appearance is outward confession of morality, that I am doing what is right in the eyes of God. Yet there is this inward denial and this outward deception. It reminds me of the Pharisees. Do you guys remember when Jesus would just call out the Pharisees? It was awesome. One of the things that he said to them, he said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Wait, wait, whitewashed tombs. I mean, you look real good on the outside, polished, clean. It, it looks, you, you're confessing this, but inside is full of death and brokenness. And we see the two bookends here, right? We started with the self-love. Now we end with this lover of pleasure and this appearance of godliness. Titus chapter one, verse 16 says this, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Is it not true? Think about just people that you know in your life for a moment, maybe even yourself, Hopefully not, but it could be the reality in your life. Think about how many people profess to know God, claim some kind of morality, some kind of relationship with God, yet you look in their life 
And you could point out to quite a few of these things, not just as momentary lapses of sin, but as, man, that, that describes them. Their life is all about money. Everything else comes second. Their, their, their life is, is all about themselves. They, they, they can't stop. Every time you have a conversation with it, they can't stop talking about themselves. Yet there is this profession, oh, I went to church. I read the Bible once. Does that make sense? I mean, I feel like I know so many people like that. Some that are very close to me. Warren Wiersbe says it's like this about this verse. He says, it's form without force. It's religion without reality. It's this, it's this cover. And we see this so often in scripture, this profession, this confession. But then you look at someone's life. You see, listen, even you today, do you fall into these categories? of descri- Would you be described like that? You see, if you're a Christian, that there are times of lapse. You still sin. But you see, what God does is he doesn't, he doesn't allow us to stay in that kind of stuff. And as we see these things in our world and maybe even in the church increase, where do we land? Where do we stand? Well, notice, it's very interesting to me. At the end of this, look at, the, look at verse 5. He says, and from such people turn away. It means to avoid at all costs, avoid completely, have nothing to do with. And you might say, what? That doesn't, that doesn't sound very loving. Look, why? Why turn away? A faithful believer should have nothing to do with the people that Paul described in what we just read. Now, it's important to note, though, that these people that we're talking about, they operate under the... the guise the display of religion. Meaning we don't turn away. If someone is in the world and they don't confess to know God, they're like, no, I, I don't even believe God exists. Then we should expect these things. They should, if, if there's no God, then they should love themselves. There's no one else. Why would they be thankful to anyone else? They should just be thankful to themselves, right? And so we're not to turn away from them. We're to show them the love of God. But what God says you don't, wanna, you don't want to associate with is people that say they love God and then act like this. Those, those are the people that God says they, they have ill intentions. And this is where people can get swept under, that, that if there's people that claim Christ but consistently live in this way, that there should, be, there should not be fellowship. The Bible says that we should expose the unfruitful works of darkness, not sweep them under the rug and act like they're not there. Does that make sense? You guys tracking? Yeah. All right, we're going to bring this thing to a close. So why do we need to know this? W- what benefit to you and I is it so that we can identify the times? Every one of you need to hear this right now, okay? We need to be aware that in our world, things, before they get better, they will get worse. Do you guys hear me? They will get better one day. But before they do, they will get worse. And the reason that we need to know that because you might have this temptation to look around in our world and maybe even see some gnarly stuff in our church, hopefully not this church, but they're sinners. And that as you look at the sinfulness of individuals, you say, man, is God even here? Does God even care? Is it even worth sharing the gospel and standing for righteousness? It seems like God's not even, because things are just getting worse. You better believe that God is not only aware, but that he has a plan and that he will one day right every wrong. The Bible says that there's going to be a day that those who don't even believe in him are going to kneel before him and confess him as Lord. Romans 2.5 says this. That's not Romans 2.5. Romans 2.5 says, but in accordance with the hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see, we might see, man, when is God gonna make things right? When is he just gonna set these things in order? It's coming. And as things increase, that means God's wrath is increased. Have you guys ever been to like a water park, Raging Waters? And you know, there's that bucket, right? That, that fills up with water and you're like waiting under there and, and it's filling and filling and filling and filling. And then there's one time where it just drops, right? And then it comes back up and fills again. 
You see, you and I right now are in that waiting time. Thank God you and I aren't going to experience God's wrath. Before that bucket drops, you and I are taken out by the rapture. But what we're seeing in our world, that bucket is filling up. God's wrath is being treasured up, stored up more and more and more and more. And listen, the tipping point is coming. And when it comes, there is no stopping it. He will right every wrong. He will make all things right. And we must not be tempted to think that God is lagging on his promises. The Bible describes that there's going to be people that come like, look, God doesn't care. Look how evil, look at all the messed up stuff in our world. But the Bible tells us that even though it feels like everything is falling apart, according to scripture, we know everything is falling into place. And so as we look at the weather, the clouds looming, as we look at the ripe fruit on the tree, that, according to the Bible, should tell us we should begin to look up for our redemption draws near. Let's end with John 16, 33. If you don't have this verse memorized, you need to, because you're going to need it. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Calm. In the world you will, not you may, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You and I will not experience the tipping of that bucket. God will snatch us away, and I pray it's today. Let's pray. God, we come before you and... Uh, Lord, we are so grateful that, that you prep us, that we don't have to be caught off guard, that we, we don't know the day or the hour, the minute, but we do know the times and the seasons. And Lord, though Paul was expecting your return, how much more? Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so God, we look to you. We fix our eyes on you. Lord, we don't want to be ashamed at your coming. We want to be excited. We want to say, man, I thought it was today. Lord, would you put in our hearts diligence, devotion, faithfulness. God, we don't want to waste the precious time we have. Lord, and we have family members. We have friends. We have people that we run into that are going to be left behind. That are going to feel the fullness of your wrath. Lord, would we tell them about the escape? Would we tell them about Jesus and the forgiveness that they can receive? That you have made a way for us not to experience the wrath. And Lord, as we look at those things and just think about our world, Lord, it, it makes sense that you're going to judge this place. We look, we, honestly, Lord, we, we want that to happen. As we watch movies and we love at the end when righteousness prevails. Lord, you've put something in us that wants to see the wrong made right. And so we're going to be patient. We're going to do our part. And you've given us a simple responsibility to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To walk in the good things. You have good things prepared before us this day. Lord, as we thought about all the, the bad today, Lord, help us to walk in the good. And so, Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.